0: This is a strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the strategy inside everything. We are, this, this episode has been interrupted more times. I think we've been trying to play on this for maybe three years, right, Amy? I'm serious. <laughs> I, think it, I think it has been, and, and uh, my guest today uh, is fantastic. She is an author, she is uh, comes from the world of agencies, she understands media, creative, innovation. She is the co-founder of DICE, diversity and inclusion at conferences and events, which is what we're going to be primarily talking about today. And also the founder of a new thing called Six Things Impossible, which we're gonna talk about as well. Um, before you introduce yourself, I do wanna give the background that not only have we been interrupted by scheduling and crazy things happening in the world and the universe, but also my son Zoom bombing us. I can hear my dog barking and I'm just soldiering through today. I mean, we're going to, this is the, this is the day this is, this conversation is happening.
1: <laughs> Honestly, I've got a smile. You should see, how, you can't see how big my smile is. That <laughs> smile. But I know even,
0: even it. the internet is playing against us today. It's this is unbelievable.
1: <laughs> but you know, I think you can hear when someone's smiling. You can. So Yeah.
0: Amy Keene, thank you very much for joining. Uh, I'm very excited to speak with you, and um, long time coming. Would you give people a sense of uh, your background before we get up and running?
1: Yes, I am. Um, I call myself a moth, but I wonder whether that does myself a, that does me a bit of a disservice. I've worked in the advertising industry for about 16 years. And the way that it's played out is that I've always kind of like a moth, um, been drawn towards the new stuff, the shiny stuff, the bright, exciting stuff. I just can't help it. So I worked in digital. I worked at the um, Internet Advertising Bureau years and years and years ago when the Internet was crap. (laughs) <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't say it was. I
0: wouldn't say it's much better. Now. It's, not, it's much more toxic now. They've just gotten better at serving it to you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, at least the dial-up was still in operation when I started working in digital. Um, but then, over the years, I've kind of always worked in the new-ish things. So I moved into social media when that was emerging, and MySpace was that lovely wholesome platform that everybody loved and. And then I moved into innovation. Um, I have been head of uh, strategy for Mindshare in APAC. I did that for a number of years. Um, most recently, I was global head of strategic innovation for Starcom. So I'm kind of a moth with substance because what I really like to do is um, kind of, I love entering new spaces, but I also like to make sure that shit's done well.
0: What is it about new spaces that attracts you? You said you're like a moth, but what, I I know enough about you, Amy, to know that you're not just flitting from thing to thing. What is it about new spaces that pulls you in?
1: I am just, uh, I'm in constant need of exhilaration and stimulation and I'm just relentlessly curious. And so like learning new stuff, Trying new things. I love most people. This is what you learn when you're a head of innovation in an agency: is that most people hate hate risk with a passion. Um, they'll avoid it at all costs. But for some reason, I don't know why, I absolutely love it because I don't I don't mind making mistakes because I'm kind of sure that whatever happens, I'll probably be able to fix it. Um, so I love the thrill of the unknown. Trying- is that-
0: Is that part of what you're trying to do when you enter a new space? Are you trying to understand it to diagnose potential risk so that you can create solutions for avoiding that risk or meeting that risk and fixing the problems that are, that you anticipate?
1: Yeah. It's like you've, I swear to God, it's like you've crawled into my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Pulled out thoughts. (laughs) Um, And I think that comes, yeah, that's absolutely it. I think it comes from having worked at a trade body right at the beginning of my career, um, when the internet was emerging and it was an utter wild west, but just from a regulatory perspective, you kind of learn how important um, integrity is in all of these different mediums. So I was one of the people that uh, worked with the ASA, the Advertising, Advertising Standards Authority, to introduce hashtag ad and hashtag spawn. This was about, you know, like social media posts.
0: Oh no, I'm very familiar, yeah.
1: Yeah, this was like, I don't know, God, 10 years ago, maybe more than 10 years ago, we worked with the government, we worked with the ASA when I worked at the IOB. you would not believe how something as straightforward and simple as hashtag ads, you wouldn't believe how long that took. Oh,
0: no, I, I can imagine how complicated, just because of the bureaucracy and how many yeah. participants there are in that, the agencies, the whole, the uh, influencer industrial complex around it.
1: hmm This is the problem with government and anything to do with the internet is that the internet moves far faster than any policy could ever move.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, And government was not built to understand the internet. The internet has just subsumed it.
1: Yeah. Oh, can I digress for a second? Because I think you'll find it interesting. Sure. I, I, I was part of this event on Futurology about a couple of months ago and it was set in the year 2030. And there were a few different futurologists who were there to kind of talk about the um, the 2030 that they envisaged. And one of the women um, predicted that in the year 2030, the tech companies are going to have more power than government mm. in in a lot of countries, in a lot of markets.
0: I think that might be true now in some countries.
1: <laughs> yeah, which ones? It's
0: the one I'm in, <laughs> 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 I think. Yeah don't you think? I mean, in some ways it's clear that they do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I reckon. Although I wonder whether there is going to be a bit of a backlash over the next few years. Who knows?
0: That's the question.
1: Yeah.
0: That's the question. The genie might be out of the bottle at this point. (laughs) Yeah. But that sounds like the kind of challenge you try to take on. You'll see something where it looks like maybe it can't be fixed or it just needs to be fixed and nobody's willing to roll up their sleeves and it sounds like that's the kind of problem you try to tackle
1: well you know what's next on my list and I've written about it a little bit but no one's taking me seriously which Mm-mm. pisses me off what's that <laughs> I want to create a social media license so in the way that you need well in your country you in. where are you I'm in the i S I'm in, I'm you know, in, where? Where
0: specifically? I'm in uh, Phoenix, Arizona.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Um, so in the way that you need a license to drive a car in your country, you need a license to own a gun. Um, and you used to, like in the UK, you used to need a license to own a dog.
0: Yeah. You have um, a dog license here.
1: Oh, do you? Yeah, the dog it's has not- to be
0: licensed, not the person, but yes,
1: <laughs> really? yeah. test? They,
0: they have to be able to bark. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> me, me loving.
0: <laughs> there is a dog um, license, but I don't know. I don't think there is a test.
1: <laughs> I'm just imagining a dog getting really stressed. <laughs> <laughs> Studying. <laughs> That's good. Um, Anyway, so I think in the same way that you need to own a, uh, a license to do various things, I think people should have to earn a license to use social media. Um just as it's
0: a- just as regular users, you mean, or as practitioners yeah. to, to no, no, no. Make content.
1: It's just as regular users. I think there should be like a, some kind of basic test that you take that tests your, you know, anger management and psychological responses and um, you know, the effect that different content has on you. I think I know it sounds preposterous.
0: It but does. It does sound not preposterous, but it just sounds so big,
1: <laughs> yeah, of, a,
0: of something to, to climb that uh, I, I don't wouldn't even know where to start.
1: Yeah, but the reality is, like, um, children are mentally very damaged by various different social platforms. Yes. I'm sure you could prove. I mean, social media kills on occasion. I think um, there's there's proof of it. Yeah, uh, it would be the only way that I can think of doing at the moment, like I'm just thinking about the UK is that you'd partner with the telecommunications providers. So wherever you had um, a telecoms company providing access to the internet, and if you were using certain social sites, that's where you'd get your license via them. And they wouldn't allow you access to those sites unless you had a license, is what I'm thinking at the moment.
0: That's really interesting to think about. Yeah, and I know you're not afraid of big challenges because you co-founded Dice. I wanna I I wanna learn more about talk to me about what triggered you starting that. What what was it that finally made you say? I mean, it's a problem. I think underrepresentation at events and conferences um, is something pretty clear for a long time. But what was what finally made you say, okay, I'm gonna start an organization to address this.
1: Yeah, I'm going to tell you a little story that I don't think I've ever mentioned, like, I've never written about it or anything. About 10 years ago, I was giving the keynote speech at, um, it was like, it was like an entertainment conference in London. It was in the BAFTA building, so quite a grandiose building, and, um, I turned up, kind of all nervous, ready to give my keynote. And I went up to this guy, who it turned out was the chair of the organisation that was running the event. And he was like, "Hello," and I was like, oh, "Hi, I'm I'm presenting today." Um, and he was like, "Oh, are you? What are you doing?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm actually giving the keynote." And he was like, "Oh, clever girl." Oh, was like, you? fucking prick yeah so his his assumption
0: was like oh this is a woman she she must not be the person that i'm expecting who has the name amy which is the same as the name on the poster that's outside of this hall
1: (laughs) he just i don't think he'd even looked in the poster you know but he was but what it made me realize was that um women in events in a lot of different industries for, for a long time were a, an anomaly you know you'd have you'd have a token woman on the panel and over the years the amount of times I've been wheeled out to talk about stuff that I know very little about um just to boost the female numbers because I rarely say no um so I've always kind of been this token women at events. Obviously, it's got better over the years, and there's some incredible female thought leaders, particularly in our space. Blow me away. Um, but I've always noticed that there's always been more men than, than women speaking at events in most industries. And then over the last few years, it's become more and more frustrating when you see these lineups of all white all male all middle class speakers um it just it started to really piss me off and for a short while I'd kind of call it out and you know that's fun for a while because everyone gets behind you and they're like ah something must be done something must be done in the way that happens in social media you know right. people are it's easy
0: going, yeah it's easy to like something on, on exactly. Twitter.
1: and then nothing happens um that started to get really boring and frustrating for me. So I teamed up with <clears throat> a few peers, a couple of journalists, and some people in the ad industry to try and uh, put an end to this kind of manal or wannel, all white, all male panel. Yeah. Um, and do you want to know how we did it?
0: I would love to know how you did it. <laughs>
1: Sorry, well,
0: I- I- because I'm, I'm, I attend a lot of events. I speak at events. I've been on these panels where I look across and I'm like, ugh this again, like I, I started saying no or recommending people because it's, it's, you just, is this interesting to an audience to see three of the same of us in these chairs with the same shoes and the same, haircut? like, is this helpful? So how did you start?
1: One of the guys that I teamed up with is a guy called Faisal and he works in the innovation space. Um, uh, and he works in healthcare. So advertising and innovation in the pharmaceutical industry. And he gave us this really interesting parallel. So one really interesting thing: one of his friends created this kind of initiative because he noticed that in events in the pharmaceutical industry, there was always one main demographic that was never ever included, was never asked on stage, their thoughts were never taken to, into account in any of the content, and that was patients.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Uh,
1: I know. So uh, there's various reasons why they, you know, you'd have to pay for them to get there, and they're not always as, as proficient at public speaking, etc. Um, but what this guy did was create a charter called Patients Included that set out all the different ways that you could include patients and the thoughts of patients and even get them speaking on stage um, to make it really easy for conference organizers in the pharmaceutical industry to do so. And it worked. It bloody worked. So he created this thing. He just writes it up on a website. People read it. And the more people started to do it, the more other events organizers who didn't do it felt embarrassed and so it was kind of I guess it's a behavioral economics process I don't know which one it would be um but everyone started to behave in that positive way that's
0: that's so smart and so simple really the solution it's it's much more pointed and deliberate than I than you think when you hear a problem like that it's like where do we start well here's a good way let's just let's just create a charter that's going to guide us and get people to opt in so everyone that's not opted in will look like they are against it
1: mm-hmm. and you know what i actually sometimes think i think it's really impressive that this guy just did it on his own sometimes <clears throat> it's really powerful when someone just gets on and does something yeah without fucking stakeholdering it to death <laughs> do you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> people are like god everyone's got an opinion and you don't even <laughs> anyway yeah. no
0: but some somebody just <laughs> needs to take the first action that pushes things forward
1: Absolutely. And so we decided to try and mimic it actually, because it had been so effective. So we created our own charter that set out how you could make a, a modern conference feel diverse and inclusive. And what we decided to do, so D&I is obviously a very, very emotional subject, and rightly so. Um, Lots of people have lots of opinions, and lots of people voice those opinions very often. And so we decided to take all of the emotion out of it. And so what we chose to do was base this charter on the 2010, the UK 2010 Equality Act, because within it there's nine protected characteristics that it's against the law to actively discriminate against. So you have race, gender, age, um, disability, religion, sexuality, and so on. Some are more relevant than others when it comes to events. So we created a charter that's got 10 points to it covering all these different um, protected characteristics um, that covers a uh, conference's lineup, but also it's content and also it's marketing. Because it's not just what you see, it's all the stuff that's done in the background yes. and <clears throat> events. Well, we went a step further than the pharmaceutical example, because what events organizers can do is they submit their work, their agenda, etc. They just fill out a really simple form online and then we certify them. Uh, there's 10 points, you get 10% for each point. So you could get a score of hundred percent. We decided to make it really, really, really easy. And if you get over 40%, you pass.
0: Yeah, so at and least there's be- a push in the right direction and you make it a low yeah. bar that that doesn't feel onerous. So people aren't uh, intimidated to try.
1: Bang on, bang on. Again, is it positive reinforcement? I don't know, I'm not too well versed in the uh, the world of behavioral economics, but um. I guess it's something, some kind of technique.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. It's positive reinforcement. But you're also, you're making <laughs> it feel a lot easier than it feels when you describe the challenge and when you start thinking mm-hmm. about programming an event. And when it's in a yeah. form and it's four tick boxes out of 10, all of a sudden you go, oh, that was that was easy. And as yeah. you're planning those a lot, I think you start to say, oh, we got a good pat on the back of that. We got better attendance. We got better press coverage. Let's okay. go for six next time.
1: Yeah. That's bang on. That's exactly, you know, it's really interesting. We've had a good few people get 100%, which is just so remarkable. They speak about how better, how much better their event was. They talk about all of these um, organizers that get amazing uh, percentage scores. They talk about the conversations that they've had that are really fulfilling and different to what they'd normally have. People are so proud of themselves when they've become DICE certified. And it it feels good.
0: And what is the... How is the feedback loop? So they so you've gotten some participation and then <clears throat> how has it spread then to other conferences and organizers? have 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 they shared this idea across so you created it and kind of plugged it into the conferences you knew about. But are you seeing that as they have these positive results, they're sharing it with more and more organizers? Is it spreading that way now horizontally?
1: Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. So when people get certified when organizations get certified <clears throat> they talk about it a lot. Uh, wonderful bragging rights, that you've done things the right way, particularly in the particularly in the year 2020. Um, it was it was interesting. It, we created dice before all of this stuff happened this summer that put um equality and equity more on people's radar. I mean, far so much overdue, but um people had already started to look at this kind of thing at, at the beginning of this year. People talk about it a lot when they've been certified but also and this is where i've received a lot of criticism but fuck it um (laughs) i do if i still see all my panels i do call it out on the likes of linkedin and twitter and i do make a really big deal out of it and and sometimes i can be quite blunt when i do this because um in my opinion and I'm the one that does it the most because I'm okay with the fallout um it's unacceptable and I just I cannot get my head around how someone can curate a conference say there's like 12 speakers and you write all the blurbs and you make the marketing materials and you put it on your website and then you put it on social media and not one person involved in that process has noticed that it's all white men I just feel like that's fucking outrageous like it makes me very very angry because it's not acceptable and I know people say oh it's it's only events like don't give them a hard time I will give them a hard time
0: right because if you don't start there where do you start
1: yeah sorry it's lucky that you can't see me because I'm like thrashing around right now (laughs) Amy
0: please don't hurt me I'm just you know having a conversation I'm on your side I'm on your side (laughs) Well, what kind of what kind of <laughs> blowback do you get to that? Because it's listen, I am a I am the person who's in the middle chair. So you know, I actually have conflict about this because I should want to be more more uh, get more attention and be invited to more of these things. But I know it's ridiculous. So when I see people calling it out, I'm always like, yeah, that's right. We shouldn't. It shouldn't look like that. You're not getting a good representation of perspectives. You're not getting good. You're getting all one voice for the most part. Yeah. Not in a hundred percent of the cases, but likely if everybody looks the same and comes from the same background. So what kind of what kind of pushback do you get? Like what kind of what happens?
1: So you get the passive aggressive responses where people say, Well, actually we were we were looking for diversity of thought. We don't see color or like we don't see gender. And I'm like, bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have diversity of thought if you have all white men though. Um, so I get the passive aggressive responses and then sometimes like I have had quite nasty people have found my mobile number. Uh, I've got, I've had a lot of messages like DMs with people saying you need to ask nicer. This isn't going to happen if you're not nicer. Um, people saying that, you know, I should email people directly. I don't have the time. I, but I, you know, I, if I could do this as a full-time job, I do this voluntarily. We all do who work for DICE. If I could do this nine to five every single day of the week, yes, I'd email everybody individually and I'd help them. But I don't have the capacity right, to right. do that. But um, I think
0: also it doesn't make as much of a, it doesn't make a ripple if you email the person and they take it offline. That's what they would, of course, that's what they want because they don't want to be called out.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, Someone called me racist and sexist. <laughs> That's my
0: favorite. That's my favorite thing. You're 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 racist against white males, right?
1: Which is, I mean, I'm not. Like, I love them. um but, just you, know, wanna, now, you just
0: don't want to hear from an entire day of panels full of them
1: exactly exactly i mean imagine like a whole conference full of me like i wouldn't want that either <laughs> i don't know
0: right now i'm feeling like it would be pretty goddamn amusing but maybe
1: <laughs> um, maybe day
0: two would be a, a lot <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh god in the morning when you're like oh please <laughs> <laughs> is there nothing wrong with her Why is she? <laughs> she's still like, going <laughs> 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 They're all going. It's unbelievable. Who did who unleashed this on us? <laughs> um, but now we have volunteers, by the way. And how big of a
0: group is it now? So you you co-founded it with a handful of people, but you now it's grown both in terms of volunteers and in terms of reach. How how many people are participating now?
1: About fifty.
0: Holy moly! Um, and are they all doing the same? Are they all volunteering in the same way, or do you have divided functions?
1: Uh, We've got a divided function. So we've got education, certification. Uh, You can tell I'm a strategist. Yeah. (laughs) Three pillars. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Education, certification, and strategic partnerships. Um, People need to know about this stuff. So we've got volunteers on the ground, literally just sharing the link, just like sending it out in newsletters or whatever. We've got, we get such a volume of events now applying for certification. So we've got like a whole team doing
0: is just for individual events or can an organization achieve certification as well
1: it's um an orga- organizations have come to us and asked but um there can be particularly with events companies there can be a real inconsistency from one event to the next um one thing i noticed i don't know whether you noticed this like over the summer when the black lives matter movement um, attracting more attention everyone was wheeling out their diversity conferences yes. and this is when they'd asked the black women and the black men to speak at the event so obviously they would have got 100 but you know fast forward three weeks later and they're doing an event on the future of tv and it's 99 percent white right so there's there's a huge amount of inconsistency so i don't know that i trust any events companies yet to have that kind of long-term badge well,
0: I guess so you want incremental progress because it's better than no progress, but yeah. it's not enough. Mm. I mean, it can't just be it can't just be when the media moment is right for them to include black voices or voices from any particular group. You're you're yeah. striving to make it more equitable all the
1: time. Yeah, exactly. I hope to God <clears throat> you know what we like in this industry how we treat everything like a trend. Like I've heard I heard a lot of people over the years describe feminism as a trend, you know, this new feminist trend. And I hope people don't feel, I hope people haven't treated it, this, the, 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 you know, racial equality in the same way.
0: What would you do to, to help reframe it so that it's not a, so it's people aren't considering it a trend. That I think you're right. That especially over the summer, you saw every brand making their Instagram, avatar, black, you know, they blacked out for a day. It was like, great, you solved it. Um, and they felt like they deserved a pat on the back for that. But you're right. If it's treated like a trend, then we expect we start looking for the end of the trend and go back to whatever the next thing is. So how how I'm wondering if you've thought about how might you uh, communicate about it as a way that people know this is a real permanent change that we're trying to make or that is happening with you or without you.
1: Yeah. I think the only way, from an organizational perspective, the only way that you can make sure that it's not treated as a a trend is to link it to long-term measures or long-term KPIs. That's the only way that you can ensure that people are thinking about it all the time. When you link it to someone's own reputation or someone's own success, that's unfortunately, in the world that we live in... um, I was going to say the world that we now live live in, but it's always been the same. Humans don't change that much. They care about themselves. They care about their reputation. They care about their own profitability. So if you link um, uh, promoting a more equal society to someone's KPIs, for example, you know, one example in an organization could be you link diverse recruitment to someone's bonus, Um Or you get 360 degree behavioural feedback um, from people, you know, when it comes to appraisal time based on how they've how they they um, approach the subject of equality and equity. I think if you don't do that, if you don't kind of align it with long term measurements, then people won't think of it in a long term way.
0: Have you started doing uh, so I know every conference you go to, they give you a feedback card and they want feedback on individual speakers and then they email you 50 times after the event to find out how it was. Have you done any uh, longitudinal work to show that pre pre- dice and post dice the results are better? Or have you created surveys that are can be integrated from dice into a to an event organizer so that they can ask questions and get feedback on? the results of their efforts in diversity and inclusion.
1: That's such a good idea. No, we haven't. That's a really, really good idea. We should do that. Yeah. No, we should do that. I think
0: it's a way to, because they'll keep those measures, you know, most any any reoccurring event or any group that puts on a lot of events, they already have that and they really do rely on that data.
1: Absolutely. There's, um, so I'm trying to, there's a phrase that I'm trying to make a thing. (laughs) Uh oh. (laughs) <laughs> if i'm thinking if i turn it into a jingle it might happen
0: oh no um, even worse <laughs> just say it and I mean, then we'll see if we want to sing it
1: let's riff right now yeah. um think dice, think dice from day one ah that's so, a good, that's a good
0: saying i don't think it needs a jingle
1: think dice from day one no i can't do it <laughs> um so we get a lot of um we get a lot of events companies coming to us two weeks before their event and they're not quite die certified. and generally they want my help to find, um, a broader bunch of speakers to make their lineup diverse. And it's just like, why are you doing this now? Why now? You've yes. had
0: But once those people come to you, let's say in, uh, in August, they came to you and they needed your help to bail them out and to mm-hmm. get, they want to get a 40. So they come to you and they ask for three speakers that you point them to. Yeah. When they come back in October, do they go right to the form and fill it out? Or do they are they repeat offenders where they keep coming back at the last minute and looking for a bailout?
1: Repeat offenders. And it's kind of got to this stage where I just, I give people a lot of favors because I just want, I want the job to be done well. Uh, so I get, I get people just coming directly to me now. Go it's like
0: going back to behavioral economics. It's almost like the nudge that you need to create is that you create a speakers bureau and it's free yes. if you're six months out and it, the cost goes up the closer you get to the event.
1: We're having a brainstorm here. We
0: are. I didn't mean to, but I can't help it.
1: I'm loving this. Yeah, so you think Dice from day one. There's a, um. this is brilliant. Yeah,
0: register with us on the day you're kicking off planning and yes. it's all the speakers in here. are You pay no fee to us. You pay the speakers, but there's no fee to Dice. But the closer you get to your event, there's a 10% fee, a 20% fee. Bravo, this
1: Brilliant. is excellent. Um, Yeah, because there's, um, so there's, I don't know if you went last year, or I don't, you might be involved in fact. <clears throat> there's an event, a guy called Paul Armstrong uh, curates every year called TBD. Nope. Uh, okay. And it's taking place in January of next year. <clears throat> he, Spoke to, he started speaking to me as soon as he, he began to curate the event. Excellent. Which was months ago now, and he got hundred percent three months out. And you should look at the, look at the lineup. Like it's just, it's so rich. It's incredible. And That's it always awesome. took hard work.
0: And he did He's it the got, right way though. He started at the beginning with a reason yeah. for what he wanted the event to be like.
1: Yeah. He's got Elon Musk's mum. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't say if I'm sure she's lovely, but I can't say for sure if that's good or bad. I've never, I've never read any of her writing or I don't know. (laughs) What is her expertise?
1: I don't know. (laughs) But I know that she's famous in her own right. Yeah.
0: His whole Um, family, his whole family.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Mm. That's interesting. Well, tell me about um, Six Things Impossible, because I know... Now I've learned that you want to take on these big challenges, so I'm not surprised to see the word impossible in there. But I know you've mentioned the six threads, and I'm assuming diversity inclusion is one of those threads.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I've wanted to have my own company, run my own company for many, many years, Um, but I've never been brave enough which is, you know, I guess like, you know, when you, when you know, it's the right time, you know, it's the right time. Yep. And, um, I always kind of knew the, the sort of organization that I wanted to create, which was just totally focused on batshit, crazy, brilliant, <laughs> useful creation.
0: Yeah. Do you know
1: what I mean? Just yes. like creating brilliant stuff with as little ego as possible.
0: That's the dream.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, there's an amazing quote in Alice in Wonderland where the Red Queen says to Alice, um, I like to believe as many as six, imposs- six impossible things before breakfast. Um, and I've always loved that quote because I mean, Alice in Wonderland in the main is about kind of madness and being yourself. And, uh, I just like that quote because it's about being open-minded and just yep. trying to, you know, do the impossible and all that jazz. And it's about letting your brain go there
0: yes yes it's harder and harder to get people
1: to open
0: their minds that way
1: everyone has this filter don't they have you read do you have the filter Uh, sure of course i do stop
0: yes but but you know from time to time it'll the filter kind of loses power a little bit and something gets in there and then i write a novel or do something stupid
1: (laughs) um but we've already riffed so much in this (laughs) well I
0: think the filter's down today but
1: we're not it doesn't you made it you
0: framed it so that it didn't feel impossible so then there's practical problems to be addressed you know what I mean yeah 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 yeah. that's the work Uh, that sounds like what the work you're doing is you're you're reframing the impossible things so that it's like oh okay well then it's just these three small problems here's how here's an idea to fix it
1: 100 percent so there's there's various things across the industry where i think yeah we have become too filtered um the way that we talk about people is shit um the way that we talk about culture and trends is utterly fictional um people often say that a cultural trend is just a thing that happened once um there's an assumption that people change constantly they don't Um, also, you know, I, having worked in innovation for so many years, creativity and innovation, um, I think, and I'm sure lots of people would agree, there's been far too much of a focus on creating stuff that wins awards rather than just, you know, is a good campaign that people like. Um, so there's all these different things, these areas that I want to kind of work in and, and, and lead by example without being too arrogant. Um, but diversity is one of those things. Um, just pure invention is one of those things. You know, I want to do I love collaborating with people. I love it. Like I I really don't like working on my own. Um and so any collaboration that comes up, I just I'm all over. That's, I love That's yeah.
0: kind of hard for someone with a strategy background because a lot of times you end up at the work ends up being you with a PowerPoint. Yes. So was that throughout your career, was that always, were you always pushing against that or did you just always put yourself in situations where you were collaborating?
1: I just love, I, I'm a really atypical strategist. I think I've done lots of strategy roles and obviously head of strategy for Mindshare in Asia. I just, I'm not a normal strategist and I don't. Lots of strategists like to get carried away with their own thoughts. And they always want to be the most in- intelligent person in the room. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to be the most intelligent person in the room. I want to, I want the room to be intelligent.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> Rising tide raises all boats. Yeah. So, wait, so tell me what are the, how does collaboration then manifest with six things impossible? Are you? Do you, did you structure the organization or as you're building it, have you thought about how to, how to make it more, uh, able to find those opportunities and collaborate? Or is it just your personality and it's your company and that's how it's going to be?
1: I think there's a massive role um, for a, a group of people to sit in between agencies and media owners. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from my I've worked in media agencies for a very, very, very long time. And I think uh, the relationship between the two is often praised and it's the projects that happen too fast and there's, there's some creativity has been lost in partnerships, like media partnerships, creative partnerships. And uh, what I'm planning to focus on in 2021 is being that person who can help agencies and major owners come up with, you know, better, more unique ideas.
0: Oh, um, I think there's such a need for that. That's great.
1: I hope so. <laughs> uh, because
0: otherwise it gets conveyed in a deck where... Uh- Here's, here's our channels, here's what's available. And it's kind of yeah. like reading a catalog. Oh, I'll take two of these, yeah. 10 of those, one of these versus communicating and figuring out, okay, how do we bend this one to do more of what we want? Or how can within this framework, how can we make it work harder?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I'd love to see how you're moving that forward.
1: Let's collab. Let's do it, <laughs> Let's do it. but we have
0: to, well, that means we have to speak again before the next three years. So hopefully we'll be able to arrange that. <laughs>
1: as your son is on the call yeah, yeah he'll <laughs> pop on? we both made this weird <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> i think it was my inappropriate joke which please
1: don't
0: <laughs> <me>. <laughs> please do not repeat it
1: um, hey i'm
0: glad that we stuck it out and we did make this work though because it' been wonderful talking to you you too um thank you very much where can people find you online amy
1: oh well i tell you what i am smashing linkedin right now <laughs> <I know. laughs> If you want to hop on over, hop on over to there. <laughs> um I don't know whether I don't know whether you heard in the news but um oh, it was on
0: <laughs> CNN this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie has been named one of the top voices in marketing and I think it's like top 10 or something. Yeah.
1: I'm number 7, which is the number that everybody likes, isn't it?
0: <laughs> I think they send out 200 notifications that everybody's number 7 just so it feels more pl- more plausible.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, um, so I'm on LinkedIn sharing some delicious thought leadership. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, amysharlottkeen.co.uk is my, is my internet space.
0: Absolutely. I will link to both of those places because I think, uh, I, I don't think we were actually connected on LinkedIn, but we will be soon.
1: <laughs> Prepare yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't think I'm ready for this much thought leadership. I didn't, I didn't. My thoughts will were you just- yeah, my, they were just running wild like sheep out in the field and you're you're sending them where they need to go. So thank you. <laughs> well, it has been great finally talking to you. Thank you for making time.
1: Thank you. Right.
0: Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Kieran. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps. If someone shared this with you and you're just not sure where you could find it, you can go to specific.substack.com and sign up there to get episodes before everybody else. For more information about me, Adam Pierno, you can go to adampierno.com. There's information about my books, my speaking, and my strategy work. Have an idea for a guest? Send it my way. Just go to adampierno.com and you'll find a form there that'll help you connect. Thanks for listening.